1938, Hitler annexes the Sudetenland, a German-speaking slice of Czechoslovakia. It's given to Hitler, really, by the rest of Europe as an attempt to prevent war. A kind of sacrifice. We'll give you this land if you promise not to take anything else. But of course he does, right? Hitler takes the rest of Czechoslovakia the following year, and then Poland, and by then World War II is in full swing. So now there's all these Nazis in Czechoslovakia, and the war is really starting well for them, and they're feeling not only high on life, they are literally high on a drug called Pervitin, which was a kind of methamphetamine. The Nazis are basically on crystal meth. They started downing it like coffee before they invaded the Sudetenland because it's an antidepressive and war is really depressing to most people. And because it keeps you awake. You could blitzkrieg for days without sleeping. So the Nazi officers are feeling invincible and they start showing off. Now Hitler had really liked this Czechoslovakian car called the Tatra. They were some of the fastest, most advanced passenger cars on the planet. Really streamlined like a Zeppelin. Those giant flammable airships. You can see one at the Minneapolis Institute of Art. The car, I mean, not the Zeppelin. This long, silver yacht of an automobile. And now that the Nazis are in Czechoslovakia, the officers start driving these Tatras. Racing around Prague, high in crystal meth, and Hitler's favorite car. And then, almost from the word go, they start dying. This is The Object, produced by the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Today, a story of cars and karma, hemis and hubris, speed and, well, speed. One of those unexpected ironies of wartime that lets you know there is still justice in the world even if it's just the poetic kind. I'm Tim Gehring. It's 1933. Hitler is building the Autobahn, the world's first highway system. And he has one big problem. No cars. Hardly anyone in Germany can afford one. Here he is building thousands of miles of pavement to get his country moving, as it were. And nobody's going anywhere. So he starts thinking about a people's car, the Volkswagen. In fact, he promises one in his inaugural speech after being elected chancellor in 1933. And then, just a few days later, he goes to the Berlin Auto Show. He visits the booths of German car makers like BMW and Daimler. And then he goes to the booth of Tatra, that Czechoslovakian car. He had spent much of his election campaign in the backseat of a Tatra. He loved them, even though they weren't German. Because in a sense, they were more German than actual German cars. Here's what I mean. Germans prided themselves on engineering, right? But engineering-wise, no car at the time could touch the Tatra. The Tatra 87 model, which is the one the Nazi officers mostly ended up driving around Czechoslovakia, had a rear-mounted, air-cooled, 2.9-liter overhead cam Hemihead V8 with a four-speed transaxle, which basically means 
screw you. It only generated 85 horsepower, which is about what your grandpa's pontoon motor put out. But it could go more than 100 miles an hour. And it's still got 20 miles to the gallon, which is probably better than your SUV. At a time when most big cars got 6 to 9. And it looked interesting, too. It's like if Batman drove a hearse. The engine is in the back, the front is rounded, and there's wheel covers for total streamlining. And there's a tail fin, of all things, one big one running right down the middle of the trunk, like the tail of an airplane or a shark, to keep the car going straight at high speeds. Because, you know, this thing can book. It also looks completely symmetrical, like obsessively symmetrical. Both sides of the car match, except for the placement of the steering wheel. Even the exhaust pipe is centered in the middle of the car. There's a third headlight, too, right in the nose of the car. Because why not? The better to see those inferior cars coming at you. You can kind of see how our regimented fascist would like this sort of thing. It was the car of the future, or as Hitler's highway overseer called it, the Autobahn car. So Hitler spends a year between auto shows, thinking about Tatras and his people's car. And then he goes to the 1934 Berlin auto show. And there is the new Tatra 77. And that's it. That's the car he wants. Hitler was not actually going to commission Tatra to build cars for the German people. For one thing, they were actually kind of expensive. For another, well, he's, he's Hitler. So he decides to ask his favorite Czechoslovakian transplant, the luxury car designer Ferdinand Porsche, to design the Volkswagen. Porsche renounces his Czech citizenship, declares himself a Nazi, and spends four years designing this car. And finally, it comes out in 1938. The first Volkswagen, the Beetle. And it looks almost exactly like the Tatra 87. This is not just a coincidence, of course. Mr. Porsche had once worked with the designer for Tatra, a Mr. Hans Ledwinka. They were friends and admirers, actually. But the Beetle and the Tatra... They're so much alike that Tatra sues. And then, before anything can happen with the lawsuit, Hitler invades Czechoslovakia. Here's what a Tatra drives like, if you've never driven one. Which you haven't. At low speeds, it actually handles quite nicely. You can steer with one finger, according to Jay Leno, the former Tonight Show host, who actually owns one. But that rear end where the engine is, is so heavy and so far away from the front end that a little acceleration and suddenly your nose is in the air. And you're dragging this unwieldy tail that can pull you around with it. And not even that tail fan can help you. It's like driving a motorboat, Leno says. Or as a British writer once described it, it's like shampooing a lion. So, when the Nazis occupy Czechoslovakia and Hitler gives one speech in Prague and leaves, now there's just all these Nazi officers around. And they get a hold of some high-powered Tatras. And they start driving them around like the 
Nazis on crystal meth that they are. And that's when the trouble starts. They're driving too fast, taking corners too sharply, oversteering when they should be taking it easy. And they start crashing, one after another. In the first week alone, after Nazis begin commandeering these cars, according to one report, seven officers are killed in them. More officers are dying in these cars than are being killed in combat in Czechoslovakia. The Allies begin referring to Tatras as their secret weapon. When the war ends, Mr. Portia is arrested as a war criminal. But so is Mr. Ledwinka, the Tatra designer. The Soviets say he collaborated with the Nazis because the Tatra factory was taken over by the Nazis and Ledwinka was forced to make military vehicles for them, which was not exactly his fault. Portia gets out of jail after six months. Ledwinka is imprisoned for six years. When he gets out, Ledwinka goes back to his native Austria. He had lived under the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Czech Republic, the Nazis, the Communists, and now he just wanted to go home. Tatra ended up reviving its lawsuit against Volkswagen, and won in 1961. But Ledwinka didn't get anything out of it. He couldn't afford a good lawyer. He was done with the Czechs in any case. He had never actually learned the Czech language. He always spoke German. And when he finally retired in the 1960s, He moved to Munich, Germany, of all places, the city where Nazism was born. And there, in perhaps the greatest irony of the story, Ledwinka donated a shiny silver Tatra 87, the Nazi killer, to the Deutsches Museum. It's still there, just like the one in Minneapolis. A forgotten emblem of a techno-paradise that never took off the one where Art Deco skyscrapers had Zeppelin docking stations on the roof and the best cars were the fastest cars. And it no longer mattered where you were from or where you were going. The only boundary was your imagination. This has been The Object Podcast, produced by the Minneapolis Institute of Art. I'm Tim Gehring. Find us on the web at artsmia.org. Send us feedback. Leave us a review on Stitcher or Google or wherever you happen to be listening. And thank you. <laughs>